0: Um, I have a great job. I love the job I do. Um, it's <laughs> a lot of people, well, at least the guys I work around, not the people I work with, the people I work around don't think I do anything. That's because they only see me showing up and tape. I work in damage prevention at City Utilities, which means I'm supposed to make sure when people are digging, no one blows something up. They don't hit a gas line and blow a house off a foundation or whatever. But then our gas guys that make the fixes when something gets hit, they show up, and all they do is see me taking pictures of what got hit, kind of like an insurance adjuster or something. So they don't think I do anything, but I do things. But anyways, that actually has nothing to do with this sermon, but um, I just wanted to explain uh, why I love my job. It's awesome. I didn't know anything about underground utilities until I started this job, and so like I, I, I was a completely blank slate. Um, so they all make fun of me because I don't know anything, and then they tell me things that probably aren't real because they know I'm like, oh, yeah, I didn't know that you put a block there for this. Um, So anyways, but again, nothing to do with my job, or with this sermon. I do love my job, though, and I truly enjoy the people I work with, not in my department, uh, not necessarily all the people that I have to work around because uh, they like to tease me a lot. Um, But I love... Who I work with, I love what I do. My boss is awesome. Um, he is—he's a, a believer, which is refreshing. Um, but he—and he goes to a Pentecostal church. We won't hold that against him. But he is—he uh, leads music at his church. He preaches on occasion, and he's—you <laughs> know—I asked him about it. It's—he uh, said he doesn't always—he doesn't prepare for his sermons. Can you imagine what it would be like if I got up here without having prepared for this sermon? I mean, it's bad enough having prepared. If I just got up here and I was telling Steve this morning and lay, uh, spoke what God laid on my heart, there would probably be a lot of other things I said that God didn't necessarily lay on my heart, and my wife would be telling me to shut up and rolling her eyes and, Jason, do, 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 doing a lot of that. Um, so I just am in awe of that. He'll tell me all the time, yeah, well, sometimes I just, whatever scripture is on my heart when I wake up, that's what I'll preach about. I'm like, I couldn't do that because sometimes the scripture on my heart isn't necessarily always sermon, uh, something I could just make a sermon out of. Um, but he's kind of an older version of me, right? He, he's not paid on staff, although I am paid and I truly appreciate that, but he's not like on staff. He leads music. He preaches whenever they need him to. He's kind of an elder in their church, um, and then he, but he has a full-time job outside of the church like I do, so he's an older but much wiser version uh, of me, um, and what's <laughs> funny is he calls me into his office every once in a while um, to pray with him, but, but he always comes by my desk. He's like, hey, Jason, I need, you, I need to see you in my office like, oh, because that's always how he starts it, like, uh. ah, then we go in there, and he sits down, he's like, could you close the door? (laughs) So... How many people are thinking, oh, my boss is calling me into his office to pray with him? No, every time, like, oh, Gum, I've done something I shouldn't have done. Um, and we'll pray, you know, we'll pray for him, um, and we'll pray for wisdom, we'll pray for the other people we work with, and things like that. And so it's truly refreshing to have a boss like that, someone that I can go to and, and talk to about spiritual things, not just things at work, and he's the same with me. Um, he and I have a different relationship than the other guys I work with, because we we're the only two that we know for sure are believers. Um, and so he and I were driving to a meeting a few, uh, it was probably about three weeks ago, and uh, his wife passed away um, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving last year from complications of from COVID. He and her had both gotten it. Afterwards, they both got the vaccine, but she had bad reactions to the vaccine, and and eventually she just Passed away. So it was very unfortunate. But he and his wife are truly an example of two coming together and living as one. He, I, I never heard him speak a bad word about his wife. I heard him talk about um, the things that he would do and would do again and again and again and again for his wife, no matter how hard or difficult it would be. And so he has struggled mightily in the last year um, since his wife passed. And so he was telling me when we were driving to this meeting that the weekend before that was one of the roughest weekends he could ever remember having because it was the weekend of her birthday. He's like, I just was sick the whole weekend, you know. And and, uh, and then he said, you know, I know God has a plan in this. There's a reason for this. I ju- It's just so hard to see. I just can't see it. I, it doesn't make sense why this is what happened, and God's going to use this for me. It doesn't make sense to me. And so it just got me thinking about doubts that I have in my own life, uh, in my own struggles. And, and it's one of the, doubts is one of the things that I wrestle with probably the most. Um, and so God just really laid that, uh, that topic or that message on my heart. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about this morning. So how many of us here struggle with doubt on occasion? I struggle with it regularly. Um, in our daily lives, we try to figure out how to apply what we know about God, what we've read in his word, um, and then how to apply it in our regular, like when we go to work, um, how do we apply those things? There are a lot of gray areas that it's hard to find scripture for, you know, like, should I buy this house? Well, scripture doesn't say, yes, Jason, you should buy the house at 716 North Vermillion. That would be a good idea. You, you don't, <laughs> there's not a place you can go to and find that. Right? And so we pray, and we see events unfolding around us and things like that, and we think, okay, I think God's calling me to do this. This is where God's directing me to be. You know? um, and so we have to take these things that are kind of gray areas. The world is rarely black and white, and then we've got to uh, figure out how to apply Scripture and apply God's standard of living in those areas. The biggest area for me where I struggle with in my own doubts is, am I really a Christian? I make decisions, and I say things on a daily basis, and at the end of the day, I'll think, is that really the way I should have acted if I were really a Christian? And so I wrestle with that, and I get consumed and focused on that a lot. So maybe you guys don't struggle with it like I do. Um, maybe this message is just for me, but this is a sermon that God laid on my heart. So let's pray, and then we'll actually really jump in So. God, we thank you so much for bringing us here this morning. God, we thank you for your word and what it, the instruction that it has for us, God. Just help us to be people that are willing to learn, God, and willing to be uh, taught and guided and directed by you. We just pray that you use this scripture and you move me out of the way this morning, God, and just speak through your word. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, so our guiding scripture this morning is in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 to 29. I'll give you guys time. Uh, Who's using their hard copy Bible today? All right, all right. I like it. Looks like this side more than this side. Check mark. Uh, side A wins. Um, all right, let's jump in. Uh, verse fourteen. It says when they when they came. "'To the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, "'and the teachers of the law arguing with them. "'As soon as all the people saw Jesus, "'they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. "'What are you arguing with them about?' he asked. "'And a man in the crowd answered, "'Teacher, I've brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit "'that has robbed him of speech. "'Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. "'He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. "'I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not.' "'You unbelieving generation,' Jesus replied. "'How long shall I stay with you? "'How long shall I put up with you? "'Bring the boy to me.'" And so they brought him. Excuse me, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, "'How long has he been like this?' "'From childhood,' he answered." Is often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said. It's my favorite part of this passage. Uh, If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The Spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy asked, uh, sorry, the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. So this is a crazy story, right? And I'm not even going to try to get into the casting out of demons part because I'm well unqualified to speak about that. Um, I'll let Pastor Mike do that when he comes back. Or Charlie can talk about casting out demons next Sunday when he preaches. Um, If he doesn't, then I want everyone here to talk to Pastor Mike about doing a sermon about casting out demons, maybe even providing a demonstration. Um, But I'm not going to talk about that. Um, But I think that a lot of us are like this father in this story Um, Maybe our kids aren't necessarily demon-possessed Or maybe when we look at our kids and we compare them to other kids They might actually be demon-possessed I've thought that of my own kids before Um, They certainly look and act like they're demon-possessed at times, right? Right, parents? Uh, Nobody's with me um, but he needed a miracle. His son is demon-possessed, and this dad needed a miracle. He, and he said, since he was a boy. So his whole life, this son has had this demon, right? And so his dad was probably, this dad was worried. He's worried about his son constantly. He probably doesn't let him out of his sight very often. I mean, we only see the father just giving a brief story. But can you imagine if this has happened to this his son his whole life, the kind of, life that the father had to lead. He probably, you know, had to when these fits or episodes or whatever happened, he's probably grabbing his son to hold him in place. If he, if the demon throws him into a fire in the water, he's got to help his son recover from those wounds, right? Soften the blow if it throws him on the ground, right? So this dad has had a life of taking care of this son, and he's concerned and worried. The father's getting older. What happens if the father passes away, who's going to take care of the son then, right? And he's worried. Um, and there's nobody, nobody had been able to help him, right? And maybe this Jesus that has been going around healing people, maybe he's going to be able to do it. He was really this father's last hope. So he brought his son to Jesus, right? And unfortunately, Jesus wasn't there. Where was he? Well, we don't get it from this uh, passage, but if you read the verses before this, Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John being transfigured. All I know is that made him, like, glow. I don't know what else transfigured means, but we say that in church, the Mount of Transfiguration. I've always... I don't even know what picture I've had in my head of that. But when you read it, like, his clothes glowed whiter than anything's ever been white in history or ever will be again is what it says. Um, But anyway, so Jesus is being transfigured, and he's talking to Elijah and Moses up on the mountain, which is another weird story. How did the disciples know who he was talking to? They didn't have pictures. They didn't have YouTube. Like, oh, yeah, I saw this guy on TikTok once. They didn't have that. But they knew who Jesus was talking to somehow. Ever wonder about that? That's just a weird side note. But anyways, um, they're coming down the mountain. And um, uh, the disciples have been trying to heal this son, right? The father brings him there. Jesus is up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. So they're like, well, I guess these guys will do. We'll see if these guys can fix him. And so the disciples are trying. And then along come the Pharisees. Jerks! right? Um, They're like the bad guys in the Jesus story, right? They're like the ones he's always fighting against, the Pharisees, right? And so they start arguing with the disciples about laws and rules and regulations, like that's going to cast the demon out of the sun. I, I don't know what the point of that was, but they wanted to let everyone know at least that these disciples were doing it wrong. So now a crowd starts to form and here comes Jesus. And this dad's heart probably leaps I It's like, oh God. ah, the one I've been wanting to see, right? And I love the back and forth. Like I said, that the father has something like, well, if if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. <laughs> I always picture like I, probably me, if I were Jesus, like sarcastically going, if I can not even know who I am. Uh, right, that's how I picture it. Probably not exactly how Jesus said it. But in a way, he kind of does, He's like, if you can, if you can, Jesus, God, know who I am, right? And then we get to the heart of the story when Jesus replies, the Father says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Or some of you may say, I believe, but help my unbelief, right? And how many of us have had that same thought? I know God can fix this, but I just don't see how. This doesn't seem like a, a story God would use. Why would he do it this way. How can he, how can God make good out of what's going on? I don't know what to do here. So I'm a bit of a nerd and weird on top of that. For those of you that know me, that's not a shocker at all. Um, But I like to know like how words are spelled. Like for instance, I asked my daughter this yesterday, does anyone here know how to spell "use"? Like when you go to a restaurant all the time, and you get your usual, you're like, ah, just give me the use. How would you spell that? U S? Or is that is there a Z in there or a J? I don't Yeah, U J. Yeah, the huge. I don't know how you spell that. And we talked about it yesterday too. Emerson said Tootaloo was like, "How do you think you spell Tootaloo?" Is it T O O T A L O O or is it T O O D L E A L E U? Tootle Toodle-oo, tood to, t-o-o-d, a-l-e-w, toodle-oo. Does anybody ever wonder these things? Like, I wonder those things. Um, so my favorite class growing up in school was word study. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person in this room that's ever uttered those words. Oh, you know what the best class ever was? Word study. You get to learn the origins and etymology of words, right? and I still have all my notes from this class. It's my favorite class I've ever taken, and I took that class my sophomore year in high school. I, I still have all my notes. Everything else has gone by the wayside, but I still have that notebook, um, and so I'm curious about the literal meaning of words and, and where they come from in their history, and so I, as I begin to prayer, or prepare for this message, I, doubt was one of those words obviously like where did that word come from what does it actually mean we say that word a lot but do we actually know what we're saying when we say doubt so there are several different greek words um, in the bible that are translated into doubt into the english bible so i am going to kind of give you some examples here the first one is distazo or dice i was going to make slides but that's the best you got um, I forgot, and I'm pretty sure I'm pronouncing all of these wrong, but the first one is a word distazo, it's D-I-S-T-A-Z-O, and it literally means to hesitate, and Jesus uses it in Matthew 14, 31, when Peter's walking on water, it says, you of little faith, why did you doubt, or why did you hesitate, what slowed you down, right, and then there's another word, dialogizomai. No, I pronounce. I'm confident in my mispronunciation of that. It looks like dialogue isomai. Um, yeah, uh, it's similar, and it's where we get the, our word dialogue, but it's used to communicate like two conflicting sides, like dialogue, like this guy's got this point of view, this guy's got this point of view, and as you're watching these two argue about something, you're kind of like, uh, dude, well, he sounds right, but he sounds right, or more likely in our current time with all the stupid political commercials, well, that guy's an idiot, and that guy's an idiot. Who do I vote for? They're all idiots, right? And so you're kind of stuck. You're like, I don't know which one. You get to the polling booth to vote. You're like, can I just draw a line down the middle? I don't, I don't know what to do with this. These guys are all dumb. Um, And so that's where this word comes from. You you hesitate or you can't make a decision because you've got these two sides and they're both making equally good or equally bad arguments, and either you want to pick both or you don't want to pick either, but you have to pick one, right? And Luke 24, 38 uses this word after Jesus' resurrection to describe the disciples' doubts. He says, why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your heart? Because they're hearing stories. um, Oh, he's alive. Well, no, somebody stole his body. And so so I was like, and plus, who comes alive? So they're like, okay, okay. We're not sure what to do, and so they were kind of paralyzed by doubt or hesitation. And then there's a word, diakrino, diakrino. Bernie could probably tell you how these are pronounced because he was an actual pastor who probably took classes in Greek, um, but I did not, so um, I just have the internet, um, But this is a word that Jesus uses in Matthew 21, the weird story where he tells the fig tree to stop producing fruit. I've heard more than one sermon about this, and it still doesn't make sense to me, that story. But he tells the disciples to have faith and do not doubt. And this word means to be at at odds with. It's usually uh, used to talk about people who are indecisive because of internal struggle i want to do this but i also want to do this want to go to the lake but i should probably go to church i want to do and so you're like what do i do i need to clean my room but i also need to clean the garage i know i'll play video games and that's usually what happens right and so you're into so you've got this internal struggle going on right and so you can't make up your mind which way to go and then the last one is it de de looks like dipsickos. Um but it's talking about someone whose internal struggle is so much that they can't move forward with any confidence. Like, well, I don't think this is it, but no, no. Does anybody here watch American Ninja Warrior? American Ninja Warrior? I don't watch it a lot, but one of their new things is you get to a spot and you can choose to do the weird balancey thing where everything spins and turns that you have to run across, or do the impossible arm thing that you can't make it over and slide around. They've got to decide. That's kind of what what this is. They're like, eh, I can't do that one in, I can't do this one, so I'm just going to do that one And They don't really like either option, so they have a hard time moving forward confidently. And that's what that one is. So I don't know if you guys are noticing a theme or repetition here, but what I take from these terms is that the, in the Bible, doubt does not mean a lack of faith or unbelief, but instead it's someone... Someone who doubts has faith, but they hesitate to act on it. They're having a hard time moving forward. I'm in this situation in life, and every, I've been able to do everything I need to do, but now something's changed, something's different, and uh, the answers just aren't there anymore. I know God's got a reason, God's got a path, but where I'm going doesn't seem to line up with that, or maybe it does, I'm not sure, and so we're, we're kind of paralyzed. Something's holding us back right and there really are two different kinds of, of doubt that we deal with intellectual doubt and relational doubt and intellectual doubts come seem to come when we try to understand our faith a little bit better right We're, we we want to know what we believe and why we believe it right and that's one of the most important things we can do as a christian that's what it means to to thrive to to get into the meat of scripture to not just be a a baby in Scripture. You want to know, okay, well, I've given my life to Christ. I'm telling people I'm a Christian. What do I actually mean when I'm saying that? What does it mean to live by faith? And so we get into the Word, and all of a sudden, we see things happening around us. We're like, yeah, but that's not what the Bible says, right? And so we have these internal struggles about knowing what to believe and why we believe it. But that's what brings growth, and it's actually an act of obedience for us to do that. God wants us to get into and question what we believe and why we believe it. Matthew 22, 37 tells us to love God with all our minds as well as our heart, soul, and strength, right? And so we have to sharpen our minds. We have to understand what does it mean when I tell people that God loves them? What what does that mean? What does God's love look like? And we have to get into that, and a lot of times it doesn't match up what we think it should be. And so then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, dang it, now I, I don't know what to do, right? And so a good way to think about trying to get in and understand your faith is thinking thing about a mechanic. Like something breaks on a car. Now, mind you, I am the farthest from mechanically inclined as anyone. Most people that I know that can work on cars are like, Oh yeah, I can hear it. It's the canuter valve. Yeah, it's not opening and closing with the right sequence, and so it's throwing the timing belt off. Your O2 sensors causing problems. I don't hear that. Uh, I. But in order to verify what you think it is, yeah, take it apart, look at how all the parts fit, find the one that's broke, fix it, replace it, and put it all back together. Right? You got to understand what makes this engine work work right and so you got to pull it apart and look at it, then make it work right. Put it back together right, make sure all the things are in the right place. And am I the only one here who's ever taken something apart, and then you put it back together, and there's one screw left? Huh? I, I mean, like every time, like, well, I don't know where that goes, so then I take it apart, and I still have one screw left, when I put it back together again, like, well, let's just see if it still works then. Anybody ever said that? I got this one screw. As long as it still works, we'll just go with it, right? Um, if something, if it doesn't work right, I'll figure out where the one screw goes. That's, I mean, that's me 100%. Ask my wife. Um, it, like when I take things apart, like if the screw's here, I take it out and set it down there. If the screw's here, I take it out and set it down there. So I know exactly where all the screws and parts go. But anyways... So our faith is the same way. When we want to know what makes it work, how we're supposed to act, why we're supposed to act, why we're supposed to treat people the way Christ did, we've got to begin to deconstruct it and take it apart and look at, okay, well, this is what God says I'm supposed to do, right? And then we reconstruct our life back around the truth of God so that that engine of faith can make us move forward, right? And so... Doubt sneaks in when we can't immediately find the answers to those questions, right? And intellectual doubts also happen because we as believers sometimes our convictions about Christ are, go contrary to what our culture and what the world says, or maybe the way we've lived our lives up to this point, even as believers, and we start to learn things about Christ and we stay in his word, and all of a sudden we're like, well, that's not the way I've been doing it. Have I been doing it wrong, or am I just understanding this wrong? And so we stop for a second, and we don't know what to do and we all of a sudden we doubt maybe our life up to this point point. Um, and so these things come in because the convictions of the world we look at what's going on around us so and a, a good example for this is how do you feel about homosexuality? Where do you stand on that? right What does the Bible say about that? How do you treat people who are homosexual right or how do you think? How do you talk about them to other people? And then, what does the Bible say about homosexuality or how we should treat our neighbors, right? Or when you start thinking about all the, the trans movement now, right? Um, the Bible doesn't really talk about the transgender movement right now, right? So how do we apply Scripture to that, right? Um, do we, are we angry and hate on those people because they're sinning? Or do we treat them with love because we hate to sin, right? We hate to sin but love the sinner. Or do we treat them with love because that's the way that Christ tells us to treat our neighbors, right? How do we handle that? Do we get as worked up about people who lie or gluttony as we do about people who are homosexual? Um, So here's an area we're (laughs) in. I've never heard anyone say, that daggum person, eats too much and they get angry and they go on chat boards and social media and start firing off all kinds of tweets and stuff because someone eats too much but it happens regularly when you start talking about sexual sins nobody gets fired up about the little sins like they do about the big sins right um And so that can cause us to doubt. Sometimes these intellectual because our culture, everything in our culture is going this way. And then we look around and we see churches and denominations doing the same thing. Like, well, maybe I've done it wrong this whole time. Maybe I need to jump on board with what they're doing. And sometimes intellectual doubts come from just a lack of knowing exactly what it is we believe. We don't spend enough time in the word we don't spend enough time in prayer we don't spend enough time in community with other believers sharpening each other as iron sharpens iron to really know what it is we believe and then we come up against something and we're like, oh, well i haven't talked about I haven't learned this i don't know what the bible says about this but i do know the bible says god is love so i'm just going to i love it whatever it is i love it cuz god is love right and so we take the few things we know here and there we try and apply them to everything, and it doesn't work because we just don't know what we really believe. So I think, though, these are tough doubts that we run into, but I think it's relational doubt that causes us the biggest concerns. And I think these kind of doubts come from a lack of confidence in, in who God is, um, in a sense that we can't trust God. These doubts or questions or hesitations usually come into our lives after some kind of harm or suffering, or maybe a broken relationship, or, or maybe we look around and we're like, well, that person's a Christian, and I see him doing that, so is it okay for me to do that? I'm not sure. And whether we go back into the Bible to seek God's truth or not, all of a sudden, we've got a doubt, right? Um, because we see fellow believers acting a certain way, or someone's hurt us, and that's someone that we thought was a great Christian, and they've done something to hurt us, whether it's breaking up, or if you're dating, or, or in the workplace, or, or a spouse has done something to hurt you. Like, I thought you were a Christian. You can't treat me like that, right? And so then these doubts come in like, and a lot of times we're just stuck. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to act. Like, we ask God, if God is really good, then why would he allow this evil to happen? And we experience these doubts in, in very subtle ways, a lot more subtle than, than the intellectual questions and doubts we have, because those are things that are brought to us. But these are just little things like, man, that person really hurt me. And we take a step back, or my wife died, and we take a step back. Like, why would God allow that to happen? right and so we don't know what to do all of a sudden and so they just sneak in subtly and the next thing you know those doubts have driven us farther and farther from Christ and not brought us to Christ so mine comes like i said from looking at other believers and and thinking man i don't have i don't think i have the relationship with god that they do they seem to be full of joy all the time Right, And I've walked, sometimes I don't want anyone to bother me, and these people all seem to be great all the time, and they talk about all these things, and, and I don't necessarily always think that. Maybe I'm not even actually a Christian, or else I wouldn't always have these thoughts, right? And I wouldn't uh, be just fine with no one bothering me so I can go home and play video games. Um, notice the theme there. Um, But anyways, I don't have the nonstop joy all the time that everyone else does. Sometimes I just want to be left alone, but it seems like other Christians are like, oh, where can I serve you next? Like, you know what? I want to go take a nap. Um, I don't want to serve anybody right now. And so I look around like, man, something's wrong with my relationship with God, if that's the case. And then I just go into these long seasons of doubt um, that come into my life because I see other people around me. Um, acting differently, and in my mind, thinking differently. So they obviously have a better or more genuine relationship with Christ than I do, because I wouldn't think or act that way at times. Um, so is, is it sinful for us to doubt if we're a Christian? Is that a sin for us to have doubts? Well, the Bible doesn't really encourage us to embrace doubt but it's often depicted as more of a, a frailty, and I don't mean we're like weak, sniveling cowards in the corner, but, but more like we just we're, we don't have what it takes this time, right? Um, God is infinite, so here's here's our biggest issue I think when it comes to out. God is infinite, and we are broken and finite beings, right? We are not God, and we don't know God the way God knows God. That's a lot. We're not God, and so we don't know him the way he knows himself, right? We only get to see him in part or in a mirror, the scripture says. We get glimpses and reflections through the world around us and through people in our lives. So our picture of him isn't always perfect or even good at times, right? Like I said, we we see people that we thought were believers acting in a way that's very ungodly or like, that doesn't look like God. Um, and so we don't always get the best picture of who God is, and that causes doubts because we don't just get to turn around and go, okay, God. And we don't see Him perfectly, and we don't, we don't have this tactile thing in front of us that we can see and feel and touch and hear and taste and smell, right? Um, and so we, like, oh, well, all we had to go on is what God has given us around Him. And God has given us everything we need, but at times we don't see the best reflection of what God has given us. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says that we know God by faith and not by sight, right? And 1 John 3, 2 says it will not see him directly until our final redemption, and so we struggle with that. And 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, For now we see partly, or we see in a mirror, dimly, but we will see face to face. For now I know only in part but then I will know him fully. So that's where our problems come in. Like I said, we don't have the perfect picture of what God looks like. We have a scripture that we can get into, but then we turn around and we go to work, we go to practice if you're in school sports or on an after-work sports social team. Um, And we go to these places, and we've got to try and find God in these places because he's not physically there for us to see, right? And that's, that's part of our problem. So, no doubt is not a sin. Um, it's unfortunately a product of living in a fallen and broken world, because we've got to find the good God in all the brokenness and all the hurt around us. A lot of times we've got to push through those painful situations in our life Um, and that doesn't look like God necessarily, but we've got to push through those things and find God in those situations and in those times. I know I'm going to call my mom out here, but I was diagnosed with diabetes when I was nine. And it's funny now we joke and, and, uh, she will say, she's like, I remember when you were first diagnosed, I just, all I thought about all the time was diabetes, diabetes, diabetes. Then when my own son was diagnosed with diabetes. You know, we kind of went through the same thing, Stephanie more so than me, because I had already had it for 30 years, and so it wasn't as big of a struggle with me. But you go through these times, because that's all you can see is this, God's placed this difficulty in your life, or maybe not God, but God's allowed this difficulty. You know, so, how do I see God through this? Why would God make me or my son have this disability that can really change or, and affect your day to day living? I've got to try and find God through this whole thing. And so we struggle. We stop. We hesitate. We have questions. Now, can, but we don't necessarily sin because we doubt. Now, can doubt lead to sin? It sure can. And this is where I struggle. It can become sin when we stop trying to address it. This isn't where I struggle, but um, here in a minute. Um, Did Thomas sin when he doubted that Christ had returned? No, he he didn't sin. He just didn't have all the evidence, right? It's a weird thing. if, If all of a sudden everybody in Stratford started talking about Abraham Lincoln walking around and some people had seen him, we're probably going to think those people are crazy. Like, Abraham, people don't just come to life and walk around and talk to people, right? And so we would want proof. We'd want evidence. We'd want to go find Abraham Lincoln and shake his hand and say, Oh, you really are Abraham Lincoln. We'd probably, in this doubting day and age, we'd want... um, uh, DNA samples, we'd be looking for spit off the cup like in the CSIs and things like that. Uh, right? So we could go run a DNA analysis. Um, we'd want proof. So the problem would be that if we had all the proof we'd need, we'd met him, we'd talk to him, all the results from the DNA test come back, and we're like, nah, I don't believe it. And then we kept going on. Right? That's where the problem comes, when we have the evidence, when we have the things we need, And we just continue to doubt, no matter what the evidence is in front of us. And that's where sin creeps in. If we continued doubting, even though we had all those problems. So the key for Thomas, though, is that when he touched, it wasn't a sin for him to say, I won't believe it till I touch his scars. I put my fingers in the nail holes and touch his side where the spear pierced his side. Right? Um, had he done that, like, nah, you're somebody else. You're not the one that died on the cross. And then he went on living his life going away from Christ rather than drawing people to this one he knew personally. And he had seen resurrected and seen risen and touched his resurrected body. If he was pushing people away from that, like, no, 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 that's not the guy. There's another guy coming later, right? That would be the problem. But instead, he was willing to learn. He was willing to change his mind when presented with all the evidence. And so he was willing to grasp the truth. Another good way to to address our doubt is to stop thinking about, or is to uh, stop thinking about the trajectory of the doubt. Where is this doubt leading us? Does this doubt lead us to sin? Um, is Christ uh, to Christ and sorry, is it leading? Is this doubt leading us to Christ and the knowledge of Him, or is it leading us away from Him? If it's leading us away from him rather than growing our faith, then it's probably a sin problem, right? Are you seeking answers to your doubts or are you just fine staying where you're at? you have to have a mind that's open to truth, to the truth of God, even if it goes against the way you've lived your life to that point. When you are presented with truth, are you willing to say, you know what, God, I've been getting this wrong my whole life, But I understand your word and I understand your truth now. I'm willing to change my life and follow your word. And that's what Thomas did. And then doubt also becomes sin when it becomes an obsession. This is where I struggle. Um, the The struggle is so just everywhere and overwhelming that all we can see is that doubt all we can see are the questions and the questions just lead us to more questions and we stop looking necessarily for truth and we're just focusing on ourselves and that's what happens to me i just i look around and i'm like wow this person talks about scripture this way and i I don't do it that way there's something wrong with me and i'm constantly just going around like what's wrong with me what what do i need to do i know all the answers but i just i'm i'm not getting it and all this and so the problem is I'm focused, spending all my time and energy focused on myself, and I've taken my eyes off of Christ, taken my eyes off of the truth, and now I, all I'm doing is, what do, I need, what do I need to do to make myself better as a Christian rather than letting God make the changes in my life? Right? And just a side note here, I've noticed these seasons, these times of doubt that I go through are usually accompanied by times when I've not been in prayer, when I've not been in God's Word, when I've not been in community with fellow believers that are helping me grow in my faith. And so, I've taken my eyes off Christ already, and then I look around like, well, these people are living this way. Why can't I live that way? And so, I've taken the focus off God, off Christ, and I've placed it on myself. And then finally, doubt crosses over into sin when it becomes unbelief. Uh, you just give up on God altogether. Your questions are too big, they're too hard, and you can't find a good enough, if any, answer for the questions you have. And so you decide, man, is God even real? Is it worth my time to invest in God? And that's when we have a serious problem. We've got questions are brought up like, Well, if God's good, bad things wouldn't happen. I'm giving up on God. That's when sin becomes the issue, when it comes to doubt. Now, can doubt be good for, used for good? It sure can. And here's something I kind of uh, landed on when I was preparing for this. In Romans 8, 28, it says, All things work together for good for those that love God and who are called according to his purpose. Can doubt be included in that? Is that part of all things? I mean... If you're using, if you're allowing this doubt, these questions to push you towards a stronger relationship with Christ, then yes. Yes, these are struggles, are difficult times. And so these are times that can be used for good. It can lead us into deeper faith and understanding in God, the creator of the universe. And if something in our faith doesn't make sense and we seek to find out why and grow from that understanding, then our doubts have produced good fruit. Right? and they can prepare us for future challenges. You know, When I go through these seasons and, I, and I've been through them and now I'm, I've come through them and my relationship with God has grown, when I come to these things before, I have something to look back on in my past and I have a place to lean now because I've already gone through this. I think in our culture, a lot of Christians grew up in church. A lot of the people that are in church now are people that grew up in church so they, need, they know they need to go to church. Right? And So they kind of inherit their faith. And their face seems to be easy and natural. It's kind of the way it was for me. I didn't have this crazy, like, man, I was strung out on, on bedspreads and quilts, trying to score an afghan on the street. Next thing I know, he, Mr. Mom fans at all? No one's even chuckling at that. Um, when he's trying to get Kenny to give up his whoopee, like, next thing you know, you can be out on the streets strung out on bedspreads. Um, anyways, I didn't have any. I just one day realized... We we're at camp at Camp Perrin, Mike. <laughs> you remember going to Camp Perrin for the camp? Amazing pink hot dogs. I just, we were singing this song, My Only Hope Is You, Jesus. My only hope is you. From early in the morning till late at night, my only hope is you. You think the praise songs we sing now are repetitive? I promise you there's nothing like 15 minutes of singing that song. But it just dawned on me, like, I'm not a believer. Like, I don't have any hope right now of going to heaven. I need to figure this out. So my faith, even though it took me a while, it kind of came naturally because I was in church my whole life and I heard a lot of these things and it just finally clicked. But when life gets in the way and all of a sudden, for those of us that have grown up in church and we just seem to always have the answers, we know all the platitudes, we know all the cute quotes, we know all those things, we know what to say when those things come up. But when all of a sudden it happens in our life, we struggle a little bit. Doubt kind of sneaks in. But then God can use those times that we've been through in the past to help us through those times when we get to them in the future. Going through times of questioning and doubt teaches us that we're not, we don't always have the answers. We're not as self-sufficient as we think we are, right? We think that we can do everything on our own, and when we enter these times, they're like, wow, maybe I don't really know. I think that's the big struggle for us when it comes to questioning and hesitation and doubt is that... We realize, hey, I don't know everything, which obviously I do, but um, man, nothing again, nothing. Gosh, you guys are rough, Um, but I'm not as self-sufficient. I can't do everything for me that I want to be able to do for me. Christ is the one that's through his Holy Spirit that's got to get me through this time. And also doubt can teach us sympathy for those around us that are going through a hard time, makes it less likely for us to dismiss someone else's questions and dismiss their doubts and their struggles and their hearts because we've been through it and now we can walk alongside them. Jude one twenty two. Anybody ever heard somebody quote Jude? It doesn't happen that often. Uh, but Jude one twenty two, God tells us to be merciful to those who doubt. Right? I'm not saying I'm awesome because I quoted Jude, but... You don't hear it that often. I mean, let's be real. Um, so what should I do when I doubt? I think the first thing to do is to realize, again, I told you guys, this is an entire series crammed into one sermon. I'm almost done. First thing we can do is realize that doubt's normal, especially if you're a Christian living in this culture. Like, our culture makes things that are ungodly seem like the right thing to do really well, right? And you're weird if you don't do those things. Um, and so when we're confronted with those we're like, well, maybe it's not a big deal for me to do that. Everybody else seems to be doing it, um, which sounds like something you tell to your teenage kids, but at teenage kids, it's a reality for adults. Um, everybody else is doing it. Uh, But only adults don't have another adult say, well, if everybody else was jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Um, Because we're busy saying that to our kids who are going through the same things we are, just on a much lower risk level, right? Um, But it's normal to doubt. We have to remember God is infinite and we're finite. Following Jesus will stretch us beyond our capabilities at times and our understanding at times. Uh, look at the heroes of the faith that we all hold up as these heroes. Moses, Noah, all these people. They all went through times. You think Abraham, when God was like, Hey, I just want you to go to the place I'm going to show you. What would we say if God in a dream woke up and was like, Just pack your stuff and start walking. I'll show you where you're going to go. First off, we'd want God to drop a pen on our maps so we could follow the trail, right? We're not just going to start walking because then people can going to ask, where are you going? I don't know, wherever God sends me, right? We don't do that. So I guarantee you Abraham had doubts or when Noah started building an ark. Like, what's rain, right? Uh, and it spent all this time building this giant ark in a place where there wasn't a lake, right? He probably had a few doubts, right? And so they all went through periods of doubt in their journeys. Another great thing to do is turn to the Psalms, especially the ones David wrote. If you want to see someone who went through a hard time before he became king, and then even after, David's your dude. He had to pretend he was crazy one time, right, just so he wouldn't be killed. Um, And so the Psalms are crammed full Of promises about confusion and loneliness and betrayal. And then praises for the God of the universe when we see what he's done and when we see what he will do. God doesn't turn away from doubters. He embraces them. And so for us as Christians, it looks like coming to Jesus the way this father did. I believe, but help my unbelief. I trust you, God, but this doesn't seem like the right way right? And then maybe it just means living, continuing to live in obedience, doing the things that we know God's called us to do, even though right now we're not sure what that looks like, right? Sometimes obedience just has to carry us through those times of question and those times of doubt. Because a life of obedience should look like prayer, should look like spending time in God's Word, should look like loving your neighbors, should look like loving your enemies, right? Those are the things God has called us to do. And when we just Man, when we just stay with that obedience, sometimes we don't understand why, but God will show us the reason why when we just live a life of obedience. And then finally, clinging to the promise in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, where he says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never turn his back on us. He is always with us. And he knows we live in a fallen, broken world. So when we stumble upon these questions and these doubts, it doesn't surprise God because he knows who we are and he knows where we are. He's not taken by surprise and he is always with us. So maybe this morning, um, for us, we need to remember those things that God has done. Um, like I said, this, this sermon God has laid on my heart because it's something I deal with. I, I wrestle with doubt at times. Um, and so maybe this morning we need to come and realize who God is and where God's brought us and realize, man, God can use this time. I may be struggling and life doesn't look right. God can use this time to grow me in my faith. Or maybe this morning you don't even have a relationship with Christ. And I remember, um, one of the things that a person who is an, uh, Uh, An elder, I don't want to say that, someone I looked up to when I was in college um, because I was struggling with that. Am I really a Christian? I don't want to go to Bible study. Does that mean I'm not a Christian? Um, And him telling me that, you know, if you're asking questions like that, it probably means you are. If you weren't a believer, you wouldn't care whether or not you were a believer. Um, And so for me, that's always been something I've kind of clung to, but maybe this morning... You're not a believer. Now, I'm not saying that if you don't doubt, you're not a believer, right? Um, But maybe you're not a believer this morning, and you want to know the love of Christ, the one who can walk with you through this life and carry you through these hard times and be there to minister you and bring people along with you. Now, I want to invite you to come this morning. Uh, It just means admitting that you've sinned, you've messed up, and you know that Christ is the only way to fix those problems. And so you want to give your life to Christ and say thank you for the, for the sacrifice that he gave you. I'm going to pray. Uh, Jackson and the Rockers, I'm not sure which ones, are going to come up here and lead us in a time of invitation. Let's pray.